0: I'm Jonathan
1: and I'm Kylie
0: and this is a show where we talk about the upcoming week but a long time ago
1: Sometimes not so long ago Yeah, so do we have any updates? Uh, It's not an update, it's more of a notice
0: Oh, notice
1: May 4th is Star Wars Day Ah, okay And it is very important that we acknowledge that
0: Yes, may the force be with you
1: (laughs) But other than that I got nothing
0: um, I think we'll put this notice at the top. We're thinking about our 50th episode being yes. a uh, a discussion, almost. Mm-hmm. So, like, we'll talk about, like, what we did the past year, because that's going to be a year. Sorry we didn't make it through all 52 weeks, but whatever. We did pretty good. Yeah, we did pretty good. We tried. We'll try and get the last few weeks of May in next year.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. So... Yeah, if you guys have anything you want to send us, uh, either through Facebook or Twitter or our email, um, listen to the call to action at the end if you don't know any of those, but get in contact with us, ask us questions, anything. Um, otherwise, we're just going to be going through our old topics and talking about them, ones yeah. we liked and stuff like well, that. Maybe
1: what we didn't like and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Cool, Alrighty. so I think we're ready for your topic, Kylie.
1: Woohoo! Okay, so my topic is... Uh, this is for the week of May 4th through May 10th, and my topic is from May 6th, 1945, but I'm not going to tell you what it is yet.
0: Okay. All right.
1: So, as you may have guessed from the date, uh, this may be one of the few times that we'll talk about World War II and Nazis. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, this topic won't be super depressing.
0: <laughs> Good luck, because Kylie's mm-hmm. reading it.
1: Hey, now. um. So during World War II, the Axis forces, a.k.a. Germany, Italy, and Japan, for anyone who's not super familiar with what that means, they ran numerous radio propaganda campaigns that were aimed at the Allied forces. And some of these broadcasters became fairly well-known. Uh, there was Lord Ha-Ha, like H-A-W, H-A-W.
0: Lord Ha-Ha.
1: Yep. And he targeted the U.K. with with his English-language propaganda radio program, called Germany Calling that started with Germany Calling, Germany Calling. Um, and he completed this with an affected upper-class English accent. So trying to sound as hoity-toity as he could. Um, In reality, Lord Ha-Ha was actually several English-speaking men who lived in Germany, but then the name now is most commonly associated with the U.S.-born Briton William Joyce. okay. Um, Although the broadcasts were well known to be Nazi propaganda, they frequently offered the only details that were available from behind enemy lines that concerned the fate of friends and relatives who hadn't made it back from the bombing raids over Germany. As a result, Allied troops and civilians frequently listened to Lord HaHa's broadcast despite the sometimes infuriating content and the frequent inaccuracies and blatant exaggerations, um, all in the hopes of learning clues about the fate of Allied troops and air crews. Another fairly well-known Axis propaganda broadcaster was Tokyo Rose. This name was given to al- by Allied troops in the South Pacific to the all-female English-speaking radio broadcasters who promoted Japanese propaganda. The aim of these broadcasts was the same as the Germans, to demoralize Allied troops abroad and their families at home by emphasizing troops' wartime difficulties and military losses. But the name Tokyo Rose was never actually used by any of the female broadcasters, But after the war, the figure of the Tokyo Rose became an important symbol of Japanese villainy for the United States. And American cartoons, films, and propaganda videos between 1945 and 1960 all tended to portray her, like her, like figuratively, as a highly sexualized, manipulative, and deadly to American interests in the South Pacific. So much so that in 1949, the San Francisco Chronicle described Tokyo Rose as the Matahari of radio. Oh. And I needed to do that to bring it full circle. Matahari was like one of my first topics. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. You have to
0: remember, a lot of people probably listen to this backwards or sporadically. So, Oh, yeah,
1: that's true. Yes. Yeah, so Matahari was like episode like four or five, maybe something like that. It was an very old Very early, Yeah. yeah. Okay, so just as a quick aside, one woman was actually arrested as the Tokyo Rose in 1945. Um, and while Eva Taguri D'Aquino, a Japanese-American disc jockey, did broadca- broadcast Japanese propaganda during the war from the J- Japan, she actually broadcast under the name Orphan Anne, not Tokyo Rose. So okay. no, one, no one used that name. Weird. But there's a reason. Um, She had been stranded in Japan after she had gone there to care for her sick aunt shortly before the attack on Pearl Harbor. She couldn't return home. She wasn't allowed to stay with her aunt and her family because she was American. And she wasn't able to receive help from her family who were all put in an internment camp in Arizona. So she was effectively completely stranded all by herself, no support in Japan
0: Ah, as an American.
1: So, she took a part-time job at a radio station, and the rest, as they say, is history. Hmm. She was arrested when she tried to return to Japan, or return from Japan to the U.S. Up, like, after the war, she was arrested and deemed the Tokyo Rose because she had been a broadcaster. Interesting. But it, it was more, it was one of those things where she took a job, any job that she could, and pretty much did what she was told. So... But there were, there were plenty of these broadcasters who like, did it out of pure like belief and everything. So.
0: I mean, I'm going through like some voice acting auditions and I don't necessarily agree with everything I'm voice acting for, <laughs> so I Fair do enough. not blame.
1: All right. So all of this brings us to Axis Sally, who was another well-known propaganda broadcaster during World War II. The event of interest occurred on May 6, 1945, when Axis Sally delivered her last propaganda broadcast to the Allied troops. Um, Access Sally was a nickname given to the women radio personalities who broadcast English language propaganda on behalf of the European Axis Forces during World War II. Their real names were Mildred Gillers, a German-American who broadcast for Germany, and Rita Zucca, an Italian-American who broadcast for Italy. Mildred became the first woman in U.S. history to be convicted of treason. Oh yeah, the Axis Alley radio show typically alternated between swing music and propaganda messages that were aimed at American troops. These messages frequently em- emphasized the value of surrender. They stoked fears that soldiers' wives and girlfriends were cheating on them, and pointed Accurate. out <laughs> and dear John <laughs> and pointed out that the Axis powers knew their locations, which could be you know fatal. Thankfully, it appeared the Allied forces didn't put too much stock in these broadcasts and listened more for the music, um, finding the attempts to intimidate them laughable. Mildred Gillers was born Mildred Sisk on November 29, 1900 in Portland, Maine. And now I feel guilty for Maine Womp womp. Yeah.
0: Bad Maine, Bad.
1: <laughs> There's some good people there, okay? But she took the surname Gillers when her mother remarried in 1911. The family then moved to Ohio when she was 16. And in 1918, she enrolled at Ohio Wesleyan University to study dramatic arts, but she left without graduating. She then moved to Greenwich Village in New York City, where she worked in various low skilled jobs to finance her drama lessons. She toured with stock companies and appeared in vaudeville, but she was unable to establish a like solid theatrical career. Honestly, that sounds like a lot of people who moved to New York City to become actors and actresses. Yep. <laughs> unfortunately um she even spent a little time working as a model for the sculptor mario corbel but wasn't able to find regular employment so in 1929 she moved to france and lived in paris for six months
0: paris
1: paris yes um she then returned to the u.s after that but in 1933 she left again moving to Algiers, where she found work as a dressmaker's assistant in 1934, she moved to Dresden, Germany to study music. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, and was later employed as a teacher of English at the Berlitz School of Languages in Berlin. So she is, like, right in Germany.
0: I guess it's not that much of an uh-oh if we know that she was convicted of treason, because I just heard Dresden and went, oh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of, like, already let that part out of the bag. Um, okay, so the other acts of Sally was Rita Zuka. Um, She was born sometime in 1912. I couldn't find a, like, solid date. Uh, She spent her teenage years in a convent school in Florence. So either her family lived in the U.S. and just sent her to school in Florence, or the family moved to the U.S. at some point in time. And I couldn't figure out which version it was, so. Right. Um, Her father, Louis, opened a very successful restaurant in New York's Midtown District called Zucca's Italian Garden. And Rita spent some time working at the family restaurant until she moved back to Italy in 1938, where she worked as a typist and then renounced her American citizenship three years later, uh, mostly to save her family's property from expropriation by Mussolini's government. So it's at this point in both Mildred and Rita's lives that we become involved in, or they become involved in radio broadcasting. In 1940, Mildred began working as an announcer with the Reich Rundfunk. Gesselschaft. Perfect. (laughs) Or the RRG, the German state radio. And I'm just going to call it the German state radio from here on out. So in 1941, the U.S. State Department began advising American nationals to leave Germany and the German occupied territories. However, Gillers chose to stay with her fiance, Paul Carlson, who was a naturalized German citizen, because he said he would never marry her if she returned to the U.S.
0: Okay. Nice.
1: Yeah, so she stayed for a man. Womp, womp. Mistake. The beginning of the worst story ever, pretty much. Um, So unfortunately, Carlson was sent to the Eastern Front, where he was killed in action. So didn't even get her happily ever after. Womp, womp. Um, Initially, Gillers' broadcasts weren't political, but that all changed in 1942, when Max Otto Kreischwitz, the program director of the USA Zone at German State Radio, cast Gillers in a new show called Home Sweet Home. She soon acquired several names amongst her GI audience, including the B**** of Berlin, Berlin Babe, Olga, and Sally. But the one most common was Axis Sally. Apparently, this name stemmed from when she described herself on air as, quote, the Irish type, a real Sally.
0: Oh, I thought you've been saying Allie. whole time, Axis Allie.
1: Axis Sally.
0: Okay, there you go. I, I have that. a lisp. I didn't hear that first <laughs> S in Sally any of these times. That could just be my fault. You have a lisp. I'm you're de- you're deaf. You're deaf.
1: I have a lisp. It's fine. Yep. Axis, Sally. So I have absolutely no idea what she meant by the real Irish type or real Sally. Like, I, I have no idea what that, that means. Me neither. So I tried, but I couldn't find it. M- <laughs> so moving I on. Yep. In 1943, as the Allied invasion of Italy was progressing, the fascist government of Benito Mussolini decided to try to emulate the German radio's Axis Sally broadcasts. So that summer, the Italian national radio network in Rome hired the 30-year-old Zucca with this aim in mind. And this was despite her losing a typing job in 1942 for copying an anti-fascist pamphlet. But presumably that was because it was her job to copy things and not necessarily for the content, but yeah, probably. Still, they still chose her to be this voice of, you know, Italy, despite that. Zuka was teamed with German broadcaster Charles Gödel in the program Jerry's Front Calling. Much to Giller's chagrin, Zuka was also referred to as Axis Sally. Zuka's trademark sign off was quote, a sweet kiss from Sally, and apparently Gillers and Zuka were often confused with each other, And many even thought that they were like the same person, that it was just one person instead of two separate people. So I feel kind of bad because Gillers was definitely the first. And then Italy was like, oh, this is a great idea. Let's do this, too. And then she was like, gosh, darn it. You took my thunder.
0: After all that time of trying to get into some sort of acting career.
1: (laughs) I know. Just
0: right out from under.
1: Yep. So Gillers had several programs that aired from Berlin, including Home Sweet Home, Midge at the Mic, G.I.'s Letterboxd, and Medical Reports. So Home Sweet Home aired from December 24th, 1942 until 1945, and was a regular propaganda program that aimed to make the U.S. uh, forces in Europe feel homesick. A common theme throughout these broadcasts was the infidelity of soldiers' wives and sweethearts while listeners were stationed overseas. She also questioned if their woman would stay with them if they returned injured or, quote, not all in one piece. Uh, the broadcast was intended to exploit the fears of the American soldiers and to make them doubt their mission, their leaders, and their prospects after the war. Midge the Mike aired from late March to late fall of 1943, in which Gillers played American songs interspersed with defeatist propaganda, anti-Semitic rhetoric, and attacks on Franklin Roosevelt. GI's Letterboxd and Medical Report both aired during 1944 and were directed at the U.S. home audience in which Gillers used information on wounded and captured US airmen to cause fear and worry in their families. So they weren't just targeting the soldiers. They were also broadcasting to the US and getting families.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Yeah.
1: After D-Day, June 6, 1944, for anyone who's not familiar, um, Gillers and Kauschwitz worked for a time from Paris for this for this purpose. Um, and they visited hospitals and interviewed POWs, falsely claiming to be representatives for the International Red Cross. In 1943, they had toured POW camps in Germany, interviewing captured Americans and recording their messages for their families in the, back in the U.S.
0: That's sneaky.
1: Yeah. The interviews were then edited for broadcast as though the speakers were well-treated or sympathetic to the Nazi cause. Gillers made her Most Notorious broadcast on June 5th, 1944, just prior to the D-Day invasion of Normandy, in a radio play written by Kershwitz called Vision of Invasion. She played Evelyn, an Ohio mother who dreams that her son had died a horrific death on a ship in the English Channel during an attempted invasion of occupied Europe. Kershwitz died on August 1944, and Giller's broadcast became lackluster and repetitive without his creative energy kind of, like, building things up. She remained in Berlin until the end of the war, um, and her last broadcast, as we've already mentioned, was on May 6, 1945, just two days before the German surrender. Uh, Zuka's broadcast sometimes used intelligence provided by the German embassy in Rome in an attempt to confuse Allied troops. She signed on to each show by uttering, quote, Hello, suckers! And her signature tune was Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea.
0: I like the opening of Hello, Suckers. I know, right? (laughs) We should open that next time.
1: Hello, Suckers. Hello, Um, Suckers. On July 8th, 1943, the night before the invasion of Sicily, presumably in an attempt to create fear, Zuka's broadcast told, quote, the wonderful boys of the 504th Parachute Regiment that, quote, Colonel Willis Mitchell's Playboys, the 20, 61st Troop Carrier Group, are going to carry you to certain death. We know where and when you are jumping, and you will be wiped out. So, like, that's pretty specific.
0: Ooh.
1: I will say, though, that I don't know if that was actually accurate information or not. So, Yeah. Who knows? It um, would as have been the,
0: scary as heck if it was. I
1: know, right? Or, like, if you knew you were going somewhere, but, like, you didn't know where, and, like, they were saying that they knew, you know, whatever was going to happen, and you're just like, crap.
0: Or, you know, it was, like, a world war, so, like, you don't know the name of every, like, platoon going out there, every jump group.
1: Yeah, that's true. So, like, I mean, it's very possible that you could be, like, oh, my gosh, like, I have a, f- like, you know, my buddy's in, like, is a parachuter, but I don't know which, like, whatever they're in. But, like, I mean, you knew what troop you were in, so, like. You yeah, could it would never, it, like, get
0: someone you. that was. Yeah. It, it wouldn't get themselves. Yeah. It would get them worried about other people. Yeah. Unless it was real, and then and then well, there were probably I'm, a bunch of people well, who were so scared.
1: I'm sh- my guess is that they were actually like, because like the like numbers and like names or whatever of um, regiments aren't necessarily like aren't necessarily like secret kind of thing. So like, like it, it would be very easy, I think, to be like, oh, like it's the you know whatever and hunt whatever division, whatever regiment, and then just make up what they thought you were going to do kind of thing to like create fear.
0: Yeah. Possible.
1: Yeah. So, as the Allied armies advanced north into Rome, Zucca retreated north with the Germans in 1944 and then resumed broadcasting from Milan. And it was there in September of 1944 that the broadcast crew of Jerry's front was attached to a German military propaganda unit called the Liberty Station. During this time, Zucca gave birth to a son and then returned to broadcasting just 40 days after. And her final broadcast was on April 25th of 1945. So you may be wondering what happened to these women. Were there consequences to these radio shows? The answer? Yes. But it wasn't easy. So Prosecutor Victor C. Warhide was sent by the U.S. Attorney General to Berlin to track down and arrest Axis Sally. He and the Counterintelligence Corps Special Agent Hans Witson had only one solid lead. Raymond Kurtz, a B-17 pilot shot down by the Germans who recalled that a woman had visited his prison camp seeking interviews and was the broadcaster who called herself Midge at the mic. And according to Kurtz, she had used the name Barbara Mohm. Warhide organized wanted posters with Gillard's picture and put them up all over Berlin, but the breakthrough really came when he was informed that a woman calling herself Barbara Mohm was selling her furniture at second at second markets around the city. They detained a shop owner who was um, selling one of her tables and quote under intense interrogation, aka torture. Uh huh. The store owner revealed Giller's address. She was arrested on March fifteenth of nineteen forty six, and she was then held by the Counterintelligence Corps along with her collaborators, collaborators Herbert John Bergman and Donald S. Day, until she was flown back to the U.S. to await trial on August 21st of 1948. She was indicted on September 10th and charged with 10 counts of treason, but only eight made it to her trial, which began on January 25th, 1949. So the prosecution relied on the large number of her programs that were recorded by the Federal Communications Commission, Um, which was stationed in Silver Hills, Maryland, um, to show her active participation in propaganda activities against the United States. It was also shown that she had taken an oath of allegiance to Hitler. And I have to say, now that I have absolutely no idea how that was proven, my assumption is that she signed a statement or something like that.
0: Yeah, that seems strange.
1: Yeah. Um, The defense argued that her broadcast stated unpopular opinions but didn't amount to a treasonable conduct, um, and it was also argued that she was under the hypnotic influence of Quishwitz and therefore not fully responsible for her actions until after his death.
0: Hypnotized.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, I think they were picking up straws there. So on March 10th, 1949, the jury convicted Gillers on just one count of treason, making the Vision of Invasion broadcast. She was sentenced to 10 to 30 years in prison and a $10,000 fine. Predicted what?
0: Seems pretty low for treason.
1: Ah, yeah, I know.
0: (laughs) Very strange.
1: Well, it gets even better.
0: Oh. Uh,
1: So she tried to appeal appeal her conviction, but it was upheld in 1950. But she was released from jail on June 10th, 1961. So like 11 years.
0: Yeah, no time at all. Jeez.
1: So while in prison, she converted to Roman Catholicism. So after her release, she went to live at the Our Lady of Bethlehem convent in Columbus, Ohio. And there she taught German, French, and music at St. Joseph Academy. She did eventually complete her, her degree at Ohio Wesleyan University in 1973. And then she died of colon cancer on June 25th, 1988. And I don't feel bad about following this one to death because she was a Nazi propaganda person. So That's right. All right. So back to Rita Zuka. With the collapse of the Axis army, Zuka smartly decided to lie low. She went by train to her uncle's home in Turin, where she took refuge. But apparently, laying low was made more difficult due to the fact that she was fairly recognizable, given her well-known cross-eyed condition. Oh, no. And probably fairly recognizable voice. Um, Eventually, she was identified and arrested on June 5th, 1945. Luckily for Zuka, though, she may have proven smarter than Gillers, as all attempts by the American government to prosecute her broke down when it became clear that she had renounced her American citizenship before she started broadcasting. She was no longer American citizen.
0: Can't be treason. Can't
1: be treason. So she couldn't be charged by the U.S., but she could still be prosecuted in, in Italy and was tried by an Italian military tribunal on charges of collaboration because now Italy's not fascist anymore after the war, so.
0: Quote, unquote.
1: <laughs> nah.
0: I think that region had a lot of healing to do there before was a anyone lot. could there say was, that. There was a
1: whole lot going on. But technically the government wanted to get rid of any stain of World War Two, which really not possible to like fully do that, but
0: doesn't even joined. seem like it's left America today. Nope. So. <laughs>
1: oui. Um so on March twenty ninth, nineteen forty six, she was sentenced to four and a half years in prison but was released released after just nine months when the Italian government declared a general amnesty for collaborators. However, she was barred from ever returning to the U.S., so she could never go back. She could never see her family. Yep. She remained in Italy in relative obscurity until her death in 1998. And that is the stories of the Axis Sally ladies, women, gals? Dunno.
0: All applicable.
1: Yes. <laughs> but yeah, Axis Sally. Well, that was cool. space Sally.
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, that was fun. Cool. We'll do our call to action. I'm just going to reiterate right at the top. If you have stuff you want to ask us, please send it in. Yes, please. We're going to do somewhat of a discussion episode. Questions, please. Questions, please. (laughs) So you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Halfwit History. You can find our website at www.halfwit-history.com. And you can send us an email at halfwitpod at com.
1: Yeah, if you want to send those questions along, that would be great. Um, if you have any topic suggestions or ideas, we'd also love to hear that. Um, or if you just want to say hi, that would be great, too.
0: Yeah. Uh, if you want to help us out by donating some monies, we have a tip jar at ko-fi.com forward slash halfwit history. So that's always appreciated. Um It is a tip jar, not a monthly subscription. So I know that makes a lot of people feel more comfortable.
1: Yeah, it's great because it's like you have the like Patreon doesn't have the option to do like the one time thing. And like since we don't have like a merch store, we can't really set up like a one time donation option there either. So like this is a really great way for, you know, you to support us or, you know, whatever, however you want to do it um, without having to make like a big commitment.
0: (laughs) I'm just saying enough Ko-Fi donations. We might have a merch store.
1: I mean that is true. I very much look forward to the day when we can make like shirts and stuff because
0: shirts and stickers. I'm so and in. Yeah, yeah, pins.
1: So yeah, just think if you guys donate, we can make merch and stuff.
0: We will be eternally grateful. Yes, and thank you to the fishermen for the use of our theme song. Another day, you can find their links down in our show notes. They have a SoundCloud. Go check them out.
1: Yeah. All
0: right, on to fun facts.
1: Fun facts. I'm gonna go first. Good choice. <laughs>
0: So the one I found is actually kind of funny because it happens on May 4th, which you brought up in the beginning of the episode. May the 4th be with you. It is also about space.
1: Hey. And it is
0: also about radios. Wait, what? Yep. (laughs) So on May 4th of 1933, the discovery of radio waves from the center of the Milky Way galaxy were announced by Carl Jansky.
1: Oh. Some, somehow got like three
0: topics all in one. I know, right? <laughs> Very cool.
1: All right. Well, mine's completely out of left field. Okay. So, May 6th, 1988 is the Donut Gate incident. What? The New Jersey Devils coach, Jim Schoenfeld, tells referee Don Koharski to, quote, eat another donut, you fat pig. Oh. And is suspended.
0: That's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> get what you get, and you don't get upset.
1: Yep, <laughs> you don't do the crime if you can't pay the time.
0: mm Hmm. Well, as always, I've been your half wit,
1: and I'm your historian, and we hope
0: to see you next week.
1: Bye. See
0: you, suckers. <laughs> <laughs>